We'll take our text this morning from 1 Corinthians, a portion of our scripture reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the mighty, the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So we've all had times when maybe We were asked to do a task that we felt maybe overwhelmed by or unqualified to do. It had been a large project at work or something of that nature, and maybe the Lord has asked you at times to do something that you didn't feel qualified to do. We've probably all had experiences like that. Maybe you responded in one of these ways. Maybe you said, I'm not qualified not capable, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not well-spoken enough, I'm not outgoing enough, I'm not spiritual enough. Now this could go on and on. I would say if you've responded in that way, then congratulations. You may be just the person God is looking for. You see, God's economy is much different than that of the world's. The things that the world might look at as a weakness or a liability. God actually looks at as an asset and a strength. And the Lord tells us why He chooses these things. We see there in verse 29 that no flesh should glory in His presence. God wants and deserves all the glory. He won't share His glory with anyone else. And He's looking for people that are willing to give Him all the glory. Verse 31 says that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So we see why God chooses these things. Throughout Scripture, we see that God often used weak instruments. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, we see God asking Moses a simple question. He says, what is in thine hand? And we see Moses' response. He said, a rod. That rod was usually a stick of some kind, often fashioned into a shepherd's staff. Just a stick of wood is really all it was. Of course, you know this account took place after God had called Moses to go and lead his people out of Egypt. Moses had made all the excuses he could think of. And so God was going to give him a demonstration of his power. So he said, take that rod and throw it on the ground. And as he did that, that rod became a serpent. God said, reach down and pick that serpent up. As Moses reached down and grabbed it by the tail, it became a rod. But you see several times throughout Scripture when the Lord used that rod in a very powerful way. You read there where that rod became a rod of judgment. Later when uh, God was going to send the plagues on Egypt. He told Moses to stretch forth his rod over the land. And as he did that, uh, the Lord sent those plagues. 
We see that rod becoming a rod of deliverance. Again, in Exodus 14.16, as the children of Israel uh, came to the Red Sea, God commanded Moses to stretch his rod out over the sea. And as he did that, it says the waters parted and they crossed on dry land. And as they got across, he commanded them again, stretch it back over the sea. And the waters returned and drowned the entire Egyptian army. We see that rod in Exodus 17.6 becoming a rod of supply. As they were there in uh, Mount Horeb, they were traveling around in the wilderness. They were without water. And God commanded Moses again, take that rod and strike that rock. And as he did that, water issued forth. You know, it's pretty amazing when you consider that God used an old dead stick of wood to accomplish some very mighty things, some miracles. Maybe God's asking this morning, what's in your hand? What can you offer the Lord? What can God use? You know, we don't ever want to minimize the power of small things. When I mention September 11th, probably most of us, our minds go to that tragic day in 2001 when the World Trade Centers were attacked. But apparently... There was another September 11th that took place in New York a few years before that, in 1995. On that day, 47,000 people, commuters, were left stranded in the city, and that was caused by a squirrel. Apparently there was a squirrel that had been jumping on the power lines there, and he was jumping on a power line that was close to the power grid there in New York, and by repeatedly jumping on that power line, he knocked a bracket loose, which caused a power line to fall across a track. Not a really big deal. It didn't electrify the track or anything, but when the train came by, it caught that wire, and it pulled all the other wires loose, caused an entire blackout. 47,000 people stranded for hours because of a cute little furry, tiny little squirrel didn't take anything big, but there's power in small things. We know a 12-pound Canadian goose can take down a jetliner. You remember 2009, the account where they actually call it the Miracle on the Hudson, where uh, that airline pilot, uh, Captain Tolley, I think his name was, or Soley, they called him, uh, had to make an emergency landing on the Hudson River because a Canadian goose had got stuck in the engine and caused the engines to fail and brought the entire plane down. So that plane weighed a million tons. 12-pound bird bringing down a plane that big. There's power in small things. Think about the account of David and Goliath. You know, the Lord used one little tiny smooth stone to bring down a giant. You know, conventional wisdom would say that that probably uh, that battle plan would have been suicide. Looking at it from a human perspective, uh, to think that David, who was untrained, he wasn't even a soldier, faced this giant Goliath. They said he was anywhere from 9 to 11 feet tall, trained from a youth to be a warrior. David was just a shepherd, really a nobody as far as most people were concerned. Yet he came out against him with a sling and a stone. People would say, uh, in the natural, that would have been suicide. But we know God uses small things to accomplish big victories. You know, David's success wasn't in his accuracy 
or his aim or how good he was with that sling and that stone. It tells us in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, David told uh, Goliath, he says, you come out to me uh, with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. He knew his victory and his strength was in the Lord. He wasn't depending on his own abilities, certainly. And again, in that same chapter, it said that this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword or spear, but the battle is the Lord. So David recognized where his source of strength was coming from. I've heard people say, why did David have to pick five stones when it only took one stone? Well, I like the rebuttal to that question. Somebody said David knew Goliath had four brothers that would need to be taken care of later. We don't know for sure, but David just had faith in God. He was coming in the name of the Lord. He wasn't coming in his own strength. Think of Samson. The account where it says the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson and he slew a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Think of that account in 1 Kings chapter 17. We have the account of Elisha and the widow of Zarephath. We know as the brook had dried up and the ravens stopped bringing Elisha food, God said, go down there to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow to sustain thee. And when he got there, he found this woman gathering sticks. And he said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. Again, he was saying, what's in your hand? She literally had nothing less. That was the very last thing she had. She says, as God is my witness, she says, I have no more. This is it. I'm going to prepare a last meal and my son and I are going to eat it and die. But, you know, God put her to the test. I just said, well, give to me first. And and she did that in faith, believing that somehow God would bless her and sustain her. And we know the account well. God, it said that that uh, cruise of oil didn't run out and that meal didn't run dry throughout that entire uh, course of that famine. It says there were many widows in the land, but God chose one because he saw something in her heart. willing to give just whatever she had in her hand. And God blessed it, multiplied it. We read John chapter 6. The account of the Lord feeding the multitude with five barley loaves and two small fish. You might say this was a time when the Lord used a small boy with a sack lunch. That young boy just gave what was in his hands. I don't think the disciples had a pride out of his hands. I think he willingly gave it. But you know, the Lord took that little offering, said he blessed it, break it, and distributed it. And there was 12 baskets left over. It's interesting in that account, one of the disciples said, well, what is that among so many? Well, maybe uh, the devil's made you feel like, what's your little offering going to even amount to anything? What is that among so many? But you know what? If you give it willingly, you give it uh, with a willing heart and faith in God, God could break it, multiply it, and use it to bless others. We don't know what potential there is there, but God uses little things. We can learn a lesson from these, from these accounts. We see God uses the smallest, weakest instruments placed in consecrated hands to accomplish great things, great victories. We also realize these instruments or these objects, you know what? They didn't possess any will of their own. They were inanimate objects. They were fully and wholly available at the disposal of those that were using them. It wasn't what, it was simply what was available and close by. 
I thought, you know, if we could offer the Lord our lives in that way, if we can take that will, that one thing God won't violate, and if we can offer it freely to the Lord, we can just become an instrument in God's hands. He can use us however He wants. God can do great things with that. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. We've heard that said. Someone said God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He's just looking for a willing heart. Somebody who's willing to give whatever they have. God will bless it, multiply it. God uses weak people. Again, we think about some of those in the Bible that God used. We think about Moses. Someone described him as a runaway fugitive with a stammering tongue. That's what he was. He got a bad start. We know God had called him and he got way ahead of God. And uh, we know he slew that Egyptian there and hit him in the sand. And the next day as he went out to defend his countrymen, they called him on it and he became frightened. So for the next 40 years, he was hiding out in obscurity in the wilderness there. Probably thought his usefulness was completely gone, but... God began to speak to him and call him, and eventually got him that place where he was willing to go and lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. God took away all of his excuses and used him. He was probably one of the greatest leaders that ever lived, but he certainly didn't feel qualified. You think about Jonah. My Bible commentary on the side describes him as that reluctant missionary. Not only that, you know what? He had a prejudice against the very ones God called him to go witness to uh, for good reason. The Ninevites had tortured the children of Israel. They were barbaric and they were just very brutal people. But this is the very one God called him to go to witness to. And of course, we know God had to take some drastic measures to get him to do what he wanted. That fish, it said, it vomited Jonah up on dry ground. I I can just imagine Jonah must have hit the ground running. Spending three days in the belly of a well would not have been pleasant at all, but he fulfilled what God called him to do. And we know the entire city, the nation was spared and they repented. Even King David. You know, when Samuel came down to anoint a new king, Saul had been rejected because of his disobedience. And as he came down to Jesse's house, that all of David's brothers were called out before Samuel. David hadn't even been considered. And he paraded all those brothers out before Samuel, and still God didn't give his approval. So he said, isn't there one more? And the family's right, well, there's David. I mean, he's out tending the sheep. We'll bring him in. And you know what? That's the one God chose. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God saw something in David's heart he could use, a willingness just to uh, give to the Lord whatever he required and a faithfulness and obedience. God uses small numbers. God doesn't need great armies and great amounts of people to accomplish great things. Again, I thought of that account of Gideon. Gideon's army, that little band of 300 men. Gideon himself. We know when God, uh, the angel appeared to Gideon, And he said, thou mighty man of valor. Imagine Gideon was probably looking over his shoulder thinking, you can't be talking to me. He was actually hiding behind the wine press in fear of the Midianites. And he said, my my family is the least of all the tribes of Israel. I'm the least in my father's house. He certainly didn't feel adequate to lead God's people. 
But we know God put him through some tests and proved himself. And later, Gideon with just 300 men, it said he defeated an enemy troop of about 125,000 people. The 300 men. You know what? God took away their weapons, gave them pitchers and lanterns and trumpets. Pretty unconventional. But God won a great victory, not because of the numbers, not because of anything like that, but because Gideon and those 300 men were willing to step out in faith. And the Bible even says that God said so that they wouldn't vaunt themselves against the God of Israel. God wants the glory. You think about 12 disciples. That's who Christ chose, 12 men to change the course of history. Think about the three Hebrew children there as they refused to bow to the king's idol and they withstood the pressures of the culture. Three men out of who knows how many. could have been over a million people. But God used those three men to change the heart of that old heathen king, change the course of the nation that day. There's a wonderful promise in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 and 20. These are Jesus' own words. He says, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven, where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst. The Lord doesn't need big numbers. He's just looking for willing hearts to do what He asks us to do. The Bible tells us God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. 2 Corinthians tells us that. Nobody knew that better than the man who wrote those words, the Apostle Paul. As you read that account, it said that he was uh, given an abundance of revelations. God had shown the Apostle Paul some amazing things and had used them very mightily and powerfully. And Paul could have easily boasted, he said, but because of that, he was given a thorn in his flesh that he wouldn't be exalted above measure. God had to actually weaken Paul in order to use him. But he found out a very important lesson. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, we don't ever want our I can'ts to turn into I won'ts. And it's easy to let that happen. But if we realize God's strength is perfect in our weakness, sometimes God has to weaken us before He can actually strengthen us. You know, I guess the question this morning isn't, uh, am I strong enough for God to use me? But rather, maybe it should be, am I weak enough for God to use me? There's a quote by Martin Luther. He said, God creates from nothing, so until we become nothing, He can't do anything with us. So we realize that God's strength is perfect in our weakness. He's looking for those weak things. Uh, I heard somebody once very wisely say, beware of your strengths. Because in a spiritual sense, it's those strengths and those abilities, they can act as a detriment to us spiritually. If those things would cause us to depend on ourselves rather than on God's strength and power, those things could be a very dangerous thing. So we're thankful God can use our weaknesses. God uses our shortcomings and those things. We want to humble ourselves. The Word of God tells us there's a way we can become weak. We first have to humble ourselves. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And the Word of God tells us there's four things. We won't take the time to look them up, but four things that God will do if we're willing to humble ourselves. It says that the Lord will lift us up. 
He'll give us strength. He'll exalt us and He'll hear our cry. Are those things we want in our lives, but those are only accomplished when we're willing to humble ourselves. You know, we have to think small. This, of course, isn't speaking about when we consider God's power and God's abilities. I'm afraid sometimes we do think too small when it comes to that. You know, God's power is unlimited. His resources are unlimited. There's that verse that says God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So when it comes to considering God's power, we we certainly don't want to limit God. But when it comes to considering our own power, our own strength, we want to think small. We want to realize that everything we have is, is from the Lord. I think of the words in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. After God had rejected King Saul, prophet Samuel said, When thou wast little in thy sight, that's when the Lord anointed thee and made thee king over Israel. As long as Saul kept himself small in his sight, that's when God can use him. But when he became exalted and lifted up, that's when God rejected him. I remember hearing a story one time about a, a young minister. He was an evangelist, and he uh, he was enjoying some success. He had traveled around, and they'd held some services, and people seemed to be responding to the message. And he began to get lifted up, and he began to think, you know, uh, maybe I do have a gift. Maybe there's something special about me. And went along like that for a while until he said one day he stepped up to the largest crowd yet. He stepped up to the pulpit on a Sunday morning and God said, okay, you're on your own. Well, we don't want to be on our own. We want to depend on the Lord. We depend on God for strength and help. We want to make sure we recognize everything we have comes from the Lord. We want to recognize the seriousness and the importance of God's call. We read in the book of Deuteronomy, God gives us a warning here. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 47 and 48. It says, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all the things he's done, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. So we can see... Uh, it's important we choose to serve the Lord. This is one area in life we can't remain neutral. If we refuse to serve the Lord, by default, we, ref- we serve the enemy. So we, we want to choose to serve the Lord, but you know what? We want to do it with joyfulness and gladness. We want to do it with all our hearts, and God will bless those efforts, as feeble as they may seem to us. You know, being faithful to the Lord is being faithful in the small things. Luke 16.10, Christ's own words, He says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. The Lord is saying here is if you're not faithful in the small things, you won't be entrusted with bigger things. It's been said, what's the reward for faithful service? It's more service. But God needs to learn to trust you in the small things. Luke 18, verse 8, Jesus asked a question. He said, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? We know the Lord is coming. It could be very soon. And the Lord is looking for those who have faith. I thought, how is faith strengthened? 
and developed and exercised. You know, often it's by being faithful in the small things, in the little things. It's been said that big battles, big battles are won with little victories. It's faithfulness in the small things. Sometimes it might even take more faith to believe God for the little things. You know, it takes faith to believe that if you're willing to make a sacrifice and come to God's house during a weeknight, it takes faith to believe that God will renew your strength and that God will bless you. Believe me, I know what it's like to work full-time and to raise children. You're exhausted. You don't feel like you have anything to give the Lord. But if that's all you have to give, God will bless you for that. God will bless that. That's an offering you can give to the Lord. But it takes faith, of course, to believe that. It takes faith to believe that if you make it a point to be in the prayer room before the service, that it just may be God will prepare your heart for blessing during the service. And I realize that's not possible for everybody. There's people that are busy and practicing and things. But if you make that simple effort, it may seem like a small thing, but God will bless you. You know, paying tithe faithfully. That's how we show faithfulness to the Lord. Sometimes it takes a lot of faith to pay the Lord first, especially when it seems like uh, there's more bill at the end of the month than paycheck. We've all been there, but to have the faith to realize if we put God first and we give Him what's he, what, what He requires, what's rightfully His, God will bless that effort. But that takes faith. You know, I don't think we would consider, anyone would consider robbing God a small thing. We'd say that's a very serious thing. Yet in Malachi, God brought an indictment against the children of Israel for that very thing. And they said, well, where have we robbed God? And he said, in tithing offerings. But then he put out a challenge. He says, but bring all the tithe into the storehouse and prove me and see if I won't pour out a blessing which can't be contained. This is just being faithful in the small things, but God will bless you. God will pour out a blessing if you're willing to just give what's in your hand. What's required for being in the Lord's service? We have to become small. Jesus said, uh, unless you are converted and become as little children, you can't have any part in the kingdom of heaven. So we have to become small. You know, and he wasn't speaking about being like a child in our actions or in our emotions. Unfortunately, too many adults try to do that. But that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about being a child spiritually, to have the faith of a child, that childlike faith. You know, faith is interesting. It's not measured in quantity. Do you know that? The Bible says every man's given a measure of faith. And Jesus himself said it only takes faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. So we see it doesn't take much faith. But the important thing is where we're willing to place that faith. That's why he talks about the faith of a child. A, a child implicitly trusts his parents. He doesn't try to figure out how they're going to fulfill their promises. And in the same way, we want to approach God in that same attitude. And you know, when we come to the Lord, if you're not saved, you need to come to the Lord willing to humble yourself. Make yourself small in God's sight. God will bless you for it. If you're seeking the Lord and you're holding out on a consecration from the Lord, give that thing to the Lord. God will bless it and multiply it. God will help you. And you know, for faithful... And the little things, when the Lord returns, 
We'll be with the Lord and we'll hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's something we all want to hear. God can put that hope in your heart this morning. Let's stand. The song is 488. These altars are open.